Drafting Archetypes is brought to you by Game Grid Lehigh. Game Grid Lehigh is an amazing place to buy and sell Magic the Gathering singles. Whether you're building a new cube or crafting your new constructed deck, Game Grid Lehigh is the place to do it. Got a draft coming up with some friends? Buy some seal product here and get it quick. So click the referral link in the description to help out the show. And don't forget to use the code DRAFTPRO10 to get 10% off on your next order at gglehigh.com. Hi everyone, this is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes, and this week I'm talking about Blue-Red in Brothers War. As always, the notes are available to follow along at patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes for patrons there. Getting right into it, Blue-Red is the third best performing color pair and the third least drafted. It's drafted a lot more often than uh, blue-green and white-black, which are drafted very rarely, about as much as red-green and green-white, which puts it, you know, kind of middle of the pack. It performs appreciably better than average, but not wildly. I would say it's like kind of middle of the pack, but slightly overperforms. So it could stand to be drafted a little bit more than it is. Notably, the three best performing decks are the three permutations of Jeskai. I believe in order red, white, blue, white, maybe those are the other way, and then blue, red. So if you just want to have kind of like an easy approach to the format, I think that if you just draft whichever two of the Jeskai colors are open uh, whenever you're not drawn specifically to green or black by, uh, you know, really strong rares or uncommons. Um, I think that's a pretty safe default approach to the format at this point. Those Because the cards in those colors are pretty good and play well together in any combination. Uh, it's pretty safe. It's kind of where this is, where it sits in the format big picture. As far as why you would draft it specifically, you know, as mentioned, maybe the thing that you're doing is kind of trying to stay in Jeskai as a default and maybe white's not available and so you end up here. Also, third path iconoclast specifically is a really good signpost uncommon. It's not like the best performing uncommon overall, but uh, in blue-red, it is the best performing uncommon by like a full percent ahead of uh, the second best performing uncommon, which is Thopter Mechanic. So it's very reasonable to take third path iconoclast early and draft around it. It plays super well in its deck and it's not hard to, I've generally found the deck uses a lot of artifacts and is reasonable, flexible and uses cards that aren't necessarily super high picks pretty well. So I think it's safe to take third path iconoclast early. Looking at recent trophy decks for blue red, I would say uh, the mode number of third path iconoclasts in a trophy deck on arena is two. Sometimes they only had one. Rarely there were zero. Most of the blue red decks that trophied had two copies of third path iconoclast. It's, you know, a strong enough card to see play in older constructed formats and uh, plays really well in this limited format, of course. Looking at commons, uh, I would say... The closest to surprising to me is Gene Over Matter being the uh, third best performing of the blue and red aligned commons. So weirdly on 17 lands at the moment, Overwhelming Remorse has the best win rate in blue red. I don't think there's any way that it's actually better than Excavation Explosion. I think it's a tiny sample size type issue or maybe 
you know, decks that are splashing it. it. Like there's some kind of covariance with other stuff that makes it perform better. I don't think it's like that you should be taking overwhelming remorse over excavation explosion in your blue red decks, of course. So anyway, like the, the top performing blue and red aligned commons are excavation explosion, scrapwork, mutt, and machine over matter. Now, machine over matter is basically tied with Mightstone's animation and combat courier, and it's taken far later on average. So I don't think that the stats suggest in any way that you should consider taking machine over matter over Mightstone's animation or combat courier in this archetype. But it is a really, really strong card. Uh, I've talked before about how much I like it. Plays particularly well with Mightstone's animation in particular, but also Third Path Iconoclast is another card that makes me want Machine Over Matter a lot more, both because it lets me play a tempo game really well, where you just kind of like, you know, bounce their blocker, make another 1 1 attack, but also uh, just having a 1 1 or a 1 mana card that saves your Third Path Iconoclast is really good. Also, the deck's just really interested in 1 mana cards because you typically end up with a huge number of cards that cost exactly two, which means that you often find yourself having trouble spending odd amounts of mana. And so getting a one mana play, which Machine Over Matter usually is in this uh, archetype, is really, really strong, especially because I do think that this deck typically plays on the tempo axis rather than the attrition axis, though I think that this deck is better than most at being able to play either way or switch between like not even you necessarily draft it very differently for like a tempo version versus an attrition version but like machine over matter for example can be a tempo play of course where you're just like bouncing an opposing creature or something or it can be more of an attrition play where it's protecting your best cards or, you know, getting card advantage by bouncing Mightstone's animation or something like that. The deck is flexible, has a lot of play to it. You have a lot of options with most of your cards. And really, if I'm being totally transparent here, the best versions of uh, Blue-Red have a lot in common with what I discussed in the Mono Blue podcast. Just kind of interesting because I feel like in blue-red, in most formats, there's some kind of tension between kind of the natural tendency of red and limited to want to be aggressive and the natural tendency of blue to want to be controlling. And you often end up needing to figure out whether you're like an aggressive red deck supported by blue tempo spells or a controlling blue deck supported by red removal. And here, I think red and blue are both independently capable of uh, playing more like a- aggressive tempo games independently, which might, you know, ignoring the actual card file and context, just hearing that, you might think, okay, so you're going to be more like a red deck with like blue tempo support stuff. But you actually end up mostly playing blue cards. I think there are just more good blue commons and the synergies between them are stronger. And so you kind of end up with like the blue with red support for removal situation, except with a tempo bend. The alternate approach to that, I guess, if I were to just imagine, all right, so like what's the like red aggressive deck backed by blue tempo spells? Um, you know, you can construct a deck that's playing like 
Dwarven Forge Chanter and Rock Hunter and Wing Commando, supported by cards like Whirling Strike and Supply Drop, and uh, play kind of like a Prowess Aggro deck. But all of those cards are kind of the weaker cards in the color combination. Like sorting, as I do sometimes to find outliers on 17 lands, the commons by frequency that they're played, by number of uh, games that players have drawn them. And then scrolling down that to find cards with exceptionally high or low win rates relative to where they are in that stack ranking. Dwarven Forge Chanter and Wing Commando are both overplayed and not very successful. So I think that uh, when Blue-Red is the weakest is when it tries to play uh, those cards because they're just not as good as the good cards. So what are the good cards? Basically the same as the good cards that I talked about in Mono Blue. So the uh, cards that perform best in order of how well they perform on 17 lands in Blue-Red, Excavation Explosion, Scrapwork Mutt, Machine Over Matter, Mightstone's Animation. Sorry, when I when I do this long list of cards, it can be easy to kind of blur what's happening. Excavation Explosions, the three damage make a power stone. Scrapwork Mutt's the two one that loots. Machine Over Matter, the one one or two mana bounce spell. Mightstone's Animation, four mana animate and artifact draw card. Combat Courier, the 1-1 one, one Unearth, you can sack to draw a card. Goblin Blast Runner, the 1-mana one 1-2 one, that gets bigger, gets plus 2 on Menace when you've sacked a card. Falaji Archaeologist, the 0-3 that mills for a non-creature, non-land. Stern Lesson, draw 2, discard 1, make a Power Stone for 3-mana instant. Boulder Branch Golem, the 7-mana 6-5, gain life equal to its power that prototypes with green mana into a 3-3. And Energy Refractor. So all of those cards kind of fit they all have synergy together they're all just kind of generically good um they're cards i generally want to play maybe goblin blast runner and flagy archaeologist are kind of the more narrow of those cards what's a little bit weird is that blast runner and archaeologist don't seem like they'd be good friends right like you have an evasive aggressive creature and an o3 that kind of draws a card but i do think that they can both play pretty well Combat Courier in particular is good glue for the two of them. Combat Courier likes to be milled by Archaeologist and is a good way to uh, trigger your Goblin Blast Runner. Bitter Reunion is another hit for Archaeologist that uh, is another trigger for your prowess stuff and also enables your Goblin Blast Runner. Like Archaeologist is less playing as like a blocker though it can do that and it can help with races and everything but it's more just about like finding your important cards and building your like you know might sense animation machine over matter synergies and stuff like that so it's you know flashy archaeologist is functioning a little bit more like curate in this deck in some ways not the curate's the most aggressive card, but once you're into the prowess space it starts to like kind of make sense yeah the, the deck is all about you know just like good synergistic cards that play flexibly and powerfully and you don't basically like because the deck is flexible you don't need to be super focused which means that you don't get a lot of added value by playing weaker cards that lean into your game plan rather than just playing stronger cards and keeping your game plan a little more nimble so just draft the good cards if you're blue-red. Pretty pretty straightforward. 
Another random uh, note on like outliers in terms of looking for spaces where cards that do well are available at late picks um, in general. Machine Over Matter is a great example. Springleaf Drum goes pretty late, and I have liked it in most of my blue-red decks. You want to play a lot of cheap creatures in general. And some of them, you know, you're not particularly attached to attacking with. Cards like Combat Courier and Flaggy Archaeologist, also Third Path Iconoclast, etc. So those cards are generally happy to tap with Springleaf Drum for mana. And then Springleaf Drum is also like a mana source that's a hit for your archaeologists. It's an artifact that you can put Mightstone's animation on. It triggers Third Path Iconoclast and your other prowess stuff. And I also find that Blue-Red wants to splash reasonably often. You have a lot of card selection. You have Energy Refractor that you want to play because of your Mightstone's animation. And so Springleaf Drum plays really well here, has good stats, and that fits my experience. I've played it in most of my uh, Blue-Red decks when I've had the opportunity. I suppose that kind of ties into another point, which is often when I would suggest that a deck is on the tempo side of the tempo attrition axis, that would be a time when you wouldn't usually want to splash because you're presumably trying to play a shorter game, not seeing as many cards. Blue-red's flexibility and just the nature of a lot of the cards that you want to play means that you do see a lot of cards and with things like drum and energy refractor, you kind of naturally want to play fixing anyway. Also, Goblin Blast Runner makes you want to play Evolving Wilds. So it can be pretty easy to splash in Blue-Red, regardless of like whether you're thinking of yourself as a more, a more or less aggressive Blue-Red deck. Not that, again, I don't really recommend trying to like kind of bottle yourself into thinking of your deck as aggressive or controlling, you really want to think of yourself as just kind of like synergistic. Like you're trying to get value out of having cards that work well together and are greater than some of their parts just at playing, however, rather than getting value out of very a lot of dedication to a specific game plan. Overwhelming Remorse and Static Net are two examples of cards that you can splash that have really, really like, you know, great stats as uh, cards in blue-red. Anything that you're looking to splash, as long as it's single pip, it's totally reasonable to consider splashing. My, you know, blue-red decks often end up Grixis or whatever with, you know, that could be any mix, usually a lot of artifacts. And so sometimes it ends up being more balanced three, sometimes it's any two splashing a third, etc. And that's what I got. You know, like I said, I, I think that this is not... A broken archetype, like it's not you should be forcing this, but it is a strong archetype. It's also pretty good at pivoting into other... It's easy to pivot into or from other decks because, you know, like a lot of these decks are only playing, you know, like three to five actual blue and or red cards uh, with like a lot of artifacts. And some of those artifacts are like couriers and mutts that care about the color of mana eventually, but you don't need it early. And so it's easy to prioritize artifacts and then draft pretty flexibly in terms of like what color balance you end up having, pivoting around this space, I guess. So I'm going to turn it over to uh, my chat here for questions. want to thank my newest patrons, John, Brock, and Elliot. Appreciate the support for the new year. 
As always, if anyone else is interested in supporting the podcast, we're always delighted to have new patrons and supporters. Patreon.com slash drafting archetypes. And anyone here, do you have any questions about Blue Red? How high do you prioritize preserving and holding up machine over matter for saving iconoclast? That particular interaction might be what makes machine over matter so good in the archetype, given that it revolves around iconoclast. Yeah, so a lot of that is about paying attention to which colors your opponent's playing and how likely they are to have uh, removal spells on various turns. Like, just think about what answers they could have, uh, especially at common, and how likely they are to be playing those. And then, you know, how much it sets you back to play around them. So, like, if you have third path iconoclast and machine over matter in your opening hand, if you don't have another artifact creature and you want to uh, not ever expose your iconoclast, you might have to wait until turn four to play iconoclast with machine over matter up. Whereas if you can lead with a combat courier, then you could do it on turn three instead of turn four. That's quite a bit better. But, uh, you know, it's always a like risk reward calculation. And part of that risk reward calculation is figuring out your, uh, you know, the value of your best alternate play. So like, you know, if you have a different two drop that you can play instead of exposing the iconoclast, then uh, it could just be a no brainer. Like, of course you play the uh, less valuable two drop first so that you're not exposing uh, something valuable to removal. Of course, it's a little bit different if your uh, you know, default ideal curve is to play a non-creature on turn three, for example. So you could either go Iconoclast into three mana thing, trigger Iconoclast, or you could go other two drop and then have to not play that card you're trying to play or you know play the Iconoclast instead, but maybe you don't want to play the Iconoclast that turn because you're not getting your Machine Over Matter set up that turn. So this is to say... Uh, very much depends on context and what you have, but, um, and you're also, you know, you're often making this decision based on having seen, you know, maybe one land from your opponent, right? Like if you're on the play and your opponent's played one land and it's turn two and you have a third path iconoclast in your hand, do you play it or not? Well, if your opponent has a swamp, then you have to think about disfigure and you know that they're a color that could have that. Whereas if they led with a forest, then, you know, there's nothing in their color that's going to be able to kill it on their next turn. They would have to play a creature to be able to play um, Epic Confrontation, for example. But if they played forest and a one mana creature, now you have to think about like, well, how bad is it for me if they have Epic Confrontation here to kill my Iconoclast? If they played a mountain, then you're thinking, all right, so at Uncommon, they could have Obliterating Bolt. But if they're just dealing with commons, then maybe my best way to protect my Iconoclast is actually to play it on two so that on turn three, when they're going into their excavation explosion mana, I can more easily hold up machine over matter on that turn. So I guess what I'm saying is I do think protecting third path Iconoclast with machine over matter is a big deal, but there's not a single answer to how best should you do that? It's really going to depend on uh, what you've seen from your opponent, mostly just which colors they're playing and 
how much your hand relies on the third path iconoclast and how smoothly you can play your game uh depending on how hard you're willing to work to play around removal one way or another if you have a chance of using desynchronize or unleash shell is there always one you prefer over the other in blue red or is there a factor that swings it I do think that players often play either Desynchronize or Unleash Shell. I am not a player who often plays either of those cards. So, you know, of course, the advantage to Unleash Shell is that it permanently deals with the thing that you hit with it, and it does some damage to your opponent. The advantage to Desynchronize is that it can hit larger creatures, and it scries too. The scry too is more valuable if you have some kind of like really good late game over the top bomb like if you're trying to find a cityscape leveler then i'd be a lot more likely to play desynchronized than unleash shell because i don't care as much that i'm not permanently dealing with a thing because that leveler can deal with the thing and i care a lot about the scry if i don't have like a more expensive thing that i'm looking for and i know that i'm you know generally trying to get my opponent dead and the two life is going to matter then it's more likely that I would be open to Unleash Shell instead of Desynchronize. My honest best advice is try not to play either one. Don't draft either over the other as a priority. Take whichever one you happen to get. And if you end up needing a five mana removal spell, which to me would just be because I came up a little short, play whichever one you happen to have. I get that, you know, there could be value to saying, oh, no, this is the stronger card. But I think that if one is better than the other, it's not by enough that you should, like, go out of your way to make sure that you have that one instead of the other one. And um, I think both are overplayed. Such the best advice I can give you is don't play either of them. I suppose also, full disclosure, because I play both of them so rarely, I really don't have nuanced thoughts on which one's better. Next up, is there a number of iconoclasts where you're happy to play Mishra's Onslaught? Two, three. So the idea here is if you have a lot of iconoclasts, then you're pretty good at going wide. And so the trumpet blast effect becomes pretty desirable. I would counter that with if your deck is really good at having third path iconoclast, you're probably winning all the games where you've like drawn and played them and kept them around and made a bunch of one ones. And you're also like your deck's really good. And in that spot, I don't want to increase variance in my deck by playing a card that's going to be bad when that doesn't come together. Um, like my deck is strong enough that I should be choosing cards to minimize downside rather than maximize upside. And so I kind of think the more iconoclasts you have, the less you want onslaught rather than the more in some ways. So uh, while I get what you're trying to do, I just don't think it's like the right approach because I think, you know, again, if your deck is strong, you should be trying to minimize uh, variance and minimize downside. And Onslaught's a card that's only going to be good when things are already going well. Does the archetype want Wing Commando since conceptually it can help the tempo plan by racing or is it filler? So uh, I mentioned Wing Commando and uh, Dwarven Forge Chanter are both played reasonably often in the archetype, but uh, less successful in aggregate than all of the other cards that are played uh, with comparable frequency, um, which is to say consensus is that they are on plan enough to play. 
stats suggest that they perform not so well, uh, such that you can probably often find better. My answer to the question is it's filler. It's okay to play it. It's not a horrible card, but it's not a priority. It's not where you'd prefer to be. If you're in a tempo build, do you consider Scatter Ray at all? Again, I don't think that you want to think about yourself as being a tempo build or control build in this deck so much as kind of always prioritizing synergy and always being able to play a tempo game. And Scatter Ray is really attached to a particular kind of game plan. Uh, like, I think Scatter Ray is a decent fit in blue white and basically only in blue white. Scatter Ray, incidentally, is the third card after Wing Commando and uh, Dwarven Forge Chanter. It's the next most played card that doesn't do as well as the cards around it. I think Scatter Ray is quite bad. As for Curate, I think Curate's totally fine as long as you have um, like two or th ideally three total third path iconoclast and levitating statue. And then if you have some like really good cards to find or a good number of unearthed cards, it can get better than that. I prefer to play artifacts that cantrip most of the time, but I don't think that there's anything embarrassing about a curate ending up in a deck. I, I would strongly prefer it to Scatter Ray, for example. Beyond the cantripping artifacts, are there any retro artifacts you'd prioritize for blue-red? Well, as I mentioned, Springleaf Drum plays well there. As far as cards that support third path iconoclast specifically, I think the question about the sigil the one that gives a creature extra power when it attacks alone based on the number of creatures you have. I'm undecided on that one in blue-red. I think it has a chance, but I'm skeptical. Like, that's getting back into the uh, Mishra's Onslaught situation where I worry that it's just kind of, like, only good in your good draws, but it can perform well sometimes, but I don't, I don't think it's something you should really prioritize or anything. Uh, I'm sure there are like random good rare retro artifacts, but I assume that's not what you're asking. Like this isn't a like, hey, what about Wormcoil Engine question, I assume. I noticed that Bonesaw has like not heinous stats in blue-red, but I mean, it still had like a negative improvement when drawn and stuff and didn't seem like notable enough to say, hey, you should probably be playing Bonesaw or anything. So nothing comes to mind, but I could be forgetting something. What about combat tricks in blue-red? I think it's, you know, fine to have um, a supply drop or whirling strike. I don't want a lot of it. I'm generally someone who prefers supply drop to whirling strike, uh, especially in a deck with Mightstone's animation. I think it, uh, I, I really value um, the, like, object in play and the ability to sacrifice it to draw a card. I do think that this is a deck that has a lot of little creatures that it wants to be able to get in combat with, so it's like a decent home for combat tricks. I think that they're generally not as good as um, a lot of the other spells, but they're fine filler, basically. Have you had much experience with Grixis, specifically uh, Blue-Red Splash Black, splashing for removal or Rager or draw two payoffs like Trench Stalker? I have. Yeah, I mentioned that this deck wants to splash, and that when I splash, I often end up Grixis. Um, I, I think Grixis is pretty solid. Um, I don't think that it fundamentally changes how you approach drafting it that much, really. I think like you're looking for the same kind of stuff. All right, sounds like that's going to wrap it up for this week. Uh, thanks for tuning in, and I will be, be I will be back next week as we... Uh, 
start winding down here, I think, with Brothers War. Uh, covered a lot of stuff, but still a few more episodes to cover. And uh, yeah, as usual, uh, the order on these last few is going to be up to the patrons over at patreon.com slash drafting archetypes. I'll be posting a poll next week. And for anyone else who's playing in the, well, or not, this, this week the decathlon is up on Magic on Arena. Um, it's a fun set of events where you play a bunch of different formats. It's a little bit late to be giving a pitch for it to uh, people who are listening to this podcast, not live. But I, I had fun with it last year and I've been playing it again this year. And I don't know why I'm babbling about it. So I'm going to leave you there. All right. Have a great week and I'll be back next week. Bye.